welcome listeners, one and all. Welcome to Regency Rumours, the podcast where a British-American couple discuss Bridgerton, the Netflix Regency show. I'm Jordan, and I lied actually. This is the podcast where a British-American couple recaps Regency-related shows and movies? That's right, yes, and I am Kayla. And welcome to the first post-Bridgerton episode of Regency Rumours. If you're new to the podcast, we recapped all eight episodes of Bridgerton, so go back through those 10 podcast episodes and check those out. But while we wait for another season, it seems like it's going to be forever, we're going to be exploring some other shows and movies. And we're also going to be interviewing people about their historical expertise. Right now, we're watching Sanditon, enjoying the new sun that's finally arrived in Britain, and we're excited to bring out new episodes of Sanditon soon. Jordan's never seen Sanditon. He's not really been on the Sanditon train like many of us have. I'm excited to get to see his reaction firsthand, see what he thinks about the series, and get his take on a lot of it. So look out for those new episodes of Sanditon coming soon. If you want to talk all things Bridgerton, or indeed anything Regency or historical, feel free to join the Facebook group, www.facebook.com slash groups slash Regency Rumors, with a U. I'm going to say it before he does. I'm also trying to put together a Regency book club. I have got a Google Doc form for people to fill out um, for what days are best for them and their email just to kind of start it soon. If you want to join, then the link to the sign-up sheet will be in the show notes. For this episode, we're going to be doing a special week of a modern recap. It's a film that just released last week, I think, on Hulu, for those of you who are in the U.S., and I think it's on Amazon to rent everywhere else. It's called Modern Persuasion, and it is, you guessed it, a modern adaptation of Jane Austen's novel Persuasion. Who'd have thunk it? (laughs) We watched it a few weeks ago and really enjoyed it, so we thought it'd be fun to discuss it as a film and a modern one at that. We're not going to go through it step by step, but we'll discuss some of the themes and how it measures up to its period drama counterparts. How did we watch it a few weeks ago if it was released last week? It was released last week on Hulu. We don't have Hulu here in the UK, but oh. a lot of our listeners are from the US and yeah, it's it's been one of the new releases on Hulu. So thought this was the perfect time to kind of talk about it. No, that makes sense. I just got confused for a second and thought that somehow we'd be given being given like a review copy when I thought, well, <laughs> wow, that's pretty early in our podcasting career to be given review copies. No, not yet. That'd be nice. <laughs> so Persuasion is my favorite of Jane Austen's books. So I just wanted to jump on the chance to see this. I will say there's only so much of this that resembles Persuasion, but that is to be expected in a modern adaptation. I think it's really hard to capture characters and what they would do and how they would act in different time periods but I think all in all it was enjoyable and a bit more lighthearted than persuasion actually really is but honestly we all need that right now in a pandemic what did you think of it I thought it was an interesting film um I haven't got the original to compare it to I will be honest although everybody should be expecting that by now I know I really for it to be my favorite of Austin's I don't know why I haven't shown it to you yet I guess I just like I'm trying to find the right moment I don't I mean, know. I, I don't know. And in a lot of ways, I really want to read these as well. I'd love you to read Persuasion. I, I want to read all of them, to be yeah. honest, because like watching the adaptations, well, he, it's it's in the name. We're, we're watching adaptations of the original right. work. So yeah, it would be nice to be able to kind of see the originals and get into them a little bit that way. Um. So yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure 
what I can really say about modern persuasion. I mean, I liked the characters. I didn't think they did too bad a job modernizing the script or anything like that. Well, by script, I mean modernizing the setting and the, the kind of the situation, um, which, you know, was pretty good. And like I said, or well, like you said, we're not doing a full recap here, um, but I want to give everybody kind of a quick synopsis of the story. If you haven't seen this yet, though, we urge you to kind of pause the podcast, go rent it or watch it on Hulu or something, and then kind of come back and like listen to the discussion afterwards. Um, it'll make a lot more sense. <laughs> it'll, yeah, it'll make a lot more sense. Don't necessarily see this as a, a review so much as just, you know, a lighthearted uh, recap. Yeah, fun discussion. So first, we'll start with um, Persuasion. You obviously don't need to have read Persuasion to watch the movie. I didn't, but it will certainly give you a, a much fuller understanding of the kind of story that they're going for. So Persuasion is about the 27-year-old Anne Elliot, who is now considered a spinster after being persuaded to break off her engagement to the naval officer Frederick Wentworth seven years prior to the start of the novel. Persuasion begins when Captain Wentworth reappears in Anne's life, and she has to grapple with the decision that she made seven years ago, and her feelings around this lost love whilst coping with him socialising in the same circles as her after all this time. So in Modern Persuasion, the movie follows Ren Cosgrove, who is the rising star at her PR firm, or the PR firm that she works at. She's in her late 20s and has spent the last seven years or so very focused on her career and not her love life. This changes when her ex-boyfriend from college, Owen Jasper, shows up to hire her company for an event for an app he's created. He's kind of one of those Silicon Valley types. The two have to try and see how they feel about each other today after so much time has passed, whilst other possible love interests loom in the background. Ooh. So I first want to go into looking at Modern Persuasion as an adaptation and how it holds up. Apparently later this year or early next year, the BBC are going to be making a series of all the Austin novels as modern adaptations. I'm not sure when that'll come out, but we plan on recapping that. I think it'll be interesting to see a series where all of the books are done by one production company, basically. The BBC did small adaptations of all the other Austin novels besides Pride and Prejudice back in 2007. It's a kind of a low-budget Regency film, so Persuasion, Emma, Sense and Sensibility, and Northanger Abbey. I think a lot of people cling to those adaptations. I, I think they're great. Um, there's lots of discussion on some of the Facebook groups. I know Jane Austen Facebook groups um, about those adaptations and whether they're good and whether they hold up to some of the other ones. But I personally love them and a lot of people I know do. It, it was a case of them not having a massive amount of funding making these. So they're not as full scale as I think they could be. So it'll be great to see the BBC do something like this with a modern adaptation. So when that comes out, we'll be on top of that series and we'll let you know what uh, what we think they did that about 10 years ago with Shakespeare it's called Shakespeare retold and the BBC did I think five or six different modern versions of Shakespeare plays, plays. <laughs> duh <laughs> and I thought they were really good they it was at the cusp of a lot of people's careers so um James McAvoy was in Hamlet McAvoy yeah <sighs> I always get his name wrong and I love him so much I don't know why I do that Anyways, so he's in Hamlet, and then I'm going to probably botch his name too. Rufus Sewell, he's in The Taming of the Shrew. I really like Rufus Sewell. I love him. So, And um, who's the woman that, that plays the... See, I don't watch Harry Potter. The, the woman that plays the moaning woman in... 
Oh, Harry Potter. I forget the actress's name. Her. It's the two of them in The Taming of the Shrew. Her and okay. Rufus Soul. And it's really good. So anyways, I have a feeling they're going to try and replicate. Oh, it almost came to me. Shirley Henderson. That's it. Shirley Henderson. Is it? Oh. Yeah. Anyways, what I was going to say is that it was really good. I really liked it. Um, you can probably find it on YouTube nowadays, to be honest. I think basically is that they're going to do a very similar thing with Austin to these Shakespeare retold things. And I thought they were really well written. So I think it'll be good if they if they do that with Austin. So other popular Austin adaptations have obviously been Bridget Jones' Diary, adapted from Pride and Prejudice, and Clueless, adapted from Emma. And both of those are kind of the most notable adaptations, I would say. Also, there's Prada Tanada, which is an adaptation of Sense and Sensibility. Uh, Bride and Prejudice, which is a Bollywood version of Pride and Prejudice. And I think those are probably the most famous ones. You are forgetting Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, which was the first version of Pride and Prejudice that I saw, itself adapted from the book by Seth Graham Smith, who also wrote Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, which I also really enjoyed. Um, alongside those two books by the same publishing company, there's Sense and Sensibility in Sea Monsters, which is by Ben H. Winters. Um, I haven't a clue what that one's like at all. Um, both of those books credit Jane Austen as co-author, by the way. Um, very fun. I guess I didn't think of those because they're not modern. Like they're... Oh, yeah, I apologize. They're, they are kind of... They're set in alternate realities. Yeah. Where obviously zombies exist in the 1800s and then sea monsters exist <laughs> as well. So yeah, they're not they're not quite modern adaptations. You're right, sorry. But they are adaptations and I thought it would be kind of remiss to not mention them. Well, I try and forget that that was the first way that you saw Jane Austen. So I can't believe that that's like your first exposure to her. We went with a group of friends. It was really fun to go with a group of friends. But I think like had I been able to go back, I'd be like, this isn't the first, the very first thing you're seeing. But did well, you enjoy it at least? Oh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, it's exactly what we've been talking about with those other Regency fantasy stuff. It's just it's a nice blend of genres. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the books are really interesting, though, because Seth Graham Smith, in interviews, has talked about his process for it. He literally just took Pride and Prejudice, started like going through it like chapter by chapter and goes, oh, ninjas will fit in there and, and, and zo <laughs> zombies will fit in there and turned it into I mean, a horror book. I mean, why not? Well, why because, not? I mean, yeah. And I was reading like, you know, the, the um, army or whoever are camped nearby for no apparent reason. And so he was like, well, yeah, why else would the army be nearby? Zombies. I think okay. it was. A, I think it's a very good. It's a fun idea. Piece. I don't know whether or not I'd want that for every single thing, like for for people to keep doing that. But I I thought it was fun. I would. Oh my god. I was thinking about it. That would drive me crazy. So they've done Sense and Sensibility and Sea Monsters, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, and I thought that there was one with Emma, but I didn't. I, I didn't see that. And um, this is all published by Quirk Books. Okay. Um, and they did um Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children as yeah. well. And then they did, they've done other parodies and things. So anyway, there's space for more. Let's put it that way. I think when they're really well done, these modern adaptations like Bridget Jones' Diary, like Clueless, that's when you really see the merits of Austin's work. Because you can go, wow, these stories, they aren't 100% the same. But the basic structure of the stories and the kind of characters that she creates, they are so relatable and so endearing that we can relate to them some 200 years or more and it still be relevant. I think that's one of the main things I love about Jane Austen is that I could reread these or people could slice these and dice these a million ways. Like you, like you said, 
in a way that tailors to all different audiences. So for someone like you, you could really enjoy different fantasy like mashups. And so I just think it's it's one of the great powers of Jane Austen that you can kind of slice her and dice her in a ton of different ways and it will still be satisfying, even though you know what the ending is. I think they're a great way to get people interested in Austen. It's kind of like a gateway drug or a gateway movie or book. I think uh, that definitely had the effect of Bridget Jones' diary for many people. But I think they can really show how strong her work was that you continually build on basic stories over and over again, like uh, taking them to different cultures and Bride and Prejudice, which is based in India, and with new platforms such as the Lizzie Bennet Diaries on YouTube. And Austin still seems as fresh and exciting to me. And we want to know what happens with the love story. I'd love to show you Bride and Prejudice, by the way. I think that one would be a hilarious movie to recap with you. We're just going to start I, recapping I, all my favorite period dramas or adaptations. Yeah, I mean, sure, except I know from other Bollywood films that I've seen that I have such a low tolerance for the kind of... I said it in a previous episode. I don't really like music. musicals. And yet you I want me to watch a Bollywood production. I think you'll enjoy this one. I See, I don't like musicals either, but this one... It's very lively and fun, and it's not as if the They're music... They're all lively and fun. <laughs> that doesn't mean that I'm going to like it. I think the music is like, it's not overpowering. I think one of the things like, you know, when you go to something like Cats, it's like Cats is just a bunch of music. And I think with something like this, like there's a song here and there, but it doesn't overtake the whole thing. So, and there's so much going on while they're singing too. So I, I'm going to show it to you and you oh can have dear. your phone out and scroll, I guess, but I still want you to see it. <laughs> Fine. So there's also some really hilarious like Hallmark channel adaptations such as Sense and Sensibility, which is about two sisters who end up making lotions, I think. And then there's another one called Pride and Prejudice and Mistletoe and Unleashing Mr. Darcy, which has to do with like Mr. Darcy and having a dog or something. I don't know. They're, just, <laughs> they're honestly really forgettable. I'll be honest. And, and they're cute for the moment, but they're cheesy. The characters are kind of like shadows of Austin characters, not well developed throughout. Um, and they really just resemble any romance in my mind, which is a sh which is a shame. For modern persuasion, I don't know. I'm kind of surprised. It's it's somewhere in the middle for me. Yes, it's low budget, and yes, some of the acting isn't great, but I can see some glimpse of persuasion in there and a lot of great one-liners, and that made it really enjoyable for me to watch. Yeah, I mean, on the whole, it was enjoyable. And like you said, there was some one-liners that we kind of chuckled at while, yeah. whilst we were watching and things. Um, Modern Persuasion was absolutely panned by the critics. <laughs> I saw that. It was awful. Yeah. Oh, felt so bad for them. Um, the Guardian called it Austin in Manhattan is a load of old bonnets. Obviously referring to a load of something that sounds similar to bonnets that I shan't be saying. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Tell me later. Don't say the word. Well. I get it now. We'll beep it out. But it's. Okay. A load of old. I got it. Okay. <laughs> uh, um, which basically means it's a load of rubbish. Um, it's awful. Even suggesting that Austen's novels, that the the article in the Guardian suggested that Austen's novels should no longer be allowed to be made into modern adaptations at all. I mean, I think that's taking a step too far. Well, the writer, she was very 
She said, can we can we kind of put a fence around Austin novels so that nobody else is allowed to adapt them? And I thought it was funny. <laughs> Variety said that they thought it was too bright and the dialogue was too dated already, mired in a very particular modern era. And we'll talk a little bit about this later. But one example that Variety gave was Geek on Fleek being used and overall rated the film badly. Though, honestly, I think it depends what you go into it expecting. Yeah. Um, I obviously went in with no foreknowledge. I didn't think it was quite as bad as all that. We're not critics, though. And, no. And, like, I think that's the point. I yeah. mean, when when some of these film critics get told to watch a film, they're kind of probably already resenting it from the beginning because they're like, <laughs> oh, I have to watch what? Um, so I think as a production, Modern Persuasion comes across as a low-budget film that does what it can with what it has. I always told my screenwriting students that when you're working on a low-budget film... You should stay away from stories that like use things that you can't afford. You've got two things that are free as a screenwriter. You've got character and you've got dialogue. So you set your story today, you make your characters interesting, and you use dialogue to be clever and to set up conflict. And that's basically what films like Modern Persuasion are doing. It's arguably what Austen was doing in her books too, um, because she was writing about people in her own time. And and kind of accessible in her circle. We've talked about that before where she she's not talking about the women that go to court and are presented yeah. with the queen. She's talking about kind of middle class yeah. people that she would have been around at the time. So Experiencing similar things that she would have experienced. Write what you know. Exactly. Write what you know. So whether or not the film is good is up to you, the, the listener, to decide. But what we can kind of see is... They did fairly well with what they had. So they used their characters and the dialogue to, to, you know, run the story forward. And they made sure that they used sets well. And honestly, though it was a little bright, quite kind of soap opera in a way, <laughs> it didn't need any dark or moody moments because it's a fun, fluffy film and not some dark, dramatic cop thriller. Yeah. Yeah. I'm torn about the casting in it. I think Alicia DeWitt uh, did a great job as Ren Cosgrove, which is supposed to be Anne Elliot. I like the casting. Uh, she isn't like some shrinking violet, but she's also not the most outspoken woman in the room. And I liked that. Yeah. I think that these sort of characters, you can have modern adaptations of women who are not independent Lizzie Bennet types without needing them to be like completely mousy and without them having any sort of backbone. It's nice to see a woman who is successful in her career, a good person to her family and friends, and yet she isn't like flashy or over the top. There's a way to do these more sensible, quieter characters in the modern era without making them like so shy and incapable of things. Because if, if she was incapable of doing things, she would no longer feel like the protagonist. And that wasn't the case. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I hate when that, when that happens. Because yes, Anne Elliot is gentle and calm and kind, but she's also capable and mature and level-headed as seen by scenes such as when she takes care of her nephew and when Louisa Musgraves, Musgraves falls. So yes, in Regency novels, these women often will have small social circles and little power in their lives. But if we're talking about modern adaptations, I do think that Anne Elliot would 100% be a capable almost partner in her PR firm. Do I think she'd own a cat and kind of be a, a cat lady type? Yeah, I do. But <laughs> she wouldn't be someone incapable of making decisions or holding a good job or having conversations with people. Yeah, yeah. And I think that definitely 
came across quite well and it's interesting because some of the other female characters there were quite a lot of female characters in the film which was obviously good um some of them did fall a little bit more into the stereotypical kind of female characters that you'd see but i don't know they were used they were used quite well like we said um i was saying as we watched that i didn't think that the main guy was cast very well i don't even remember his name shane no something I don't know. I've wrote his name down here somewhere. Uh, Yeah, I think I accidentally deleted it from the notes. But there wasn't much chemistry between them at all, from what I remember. He was a bit wooden. Absolutely. I feel bad kind of saying that about actors because I know that I would do a terrible job myself. And I don't like, you know, I've got nothing to do with acting. So why should I talk about acting? (laughs) We're talking about writing because we, we do it. And so I don't want to talk too much about it. But I just, it was a bit weird, right? Yeah, I don't... I don't know what the decision process is between putting these two together. I'm not, I'm also, I know that sounds terrible. I'm also not 100% sold that he's some sort of Silicon Valley type guy. He doesn't come off that. He looks much more like a rugby player. Yeah. Yeah. Like he used to be a, a pro football player or something. I just wasn't as convinced that he was like in the tech world. Not to say that he couldn't be. I just, I just didn't get those vibes off this character. So. And I just, I really didn't, they didn't have any chemistry. I think she was great and she was able to carry the movie, thankfully, but there was just nothing about his character that was even resembled a Wentworth type. I think that's the other thing too. Well, the cat was called Wentworth. Yes. And that was, that was fun, but. Yeah, but maybe they did that intentionally to show you that he wasn't supposed to be like Wentworth. Not that I know. Then what's the point of this movie? Yeah, I know. I know. (laughs) I don't know if the character was just written badly or it's just really wasn't a good fit for him but his his performance was flat and i have no idea why she was even interested in him like if you're pining for someone for what like seven years or something then there better be some real tangible things that we can see in this character as to why you've wasted all this time your adult life waiting for them and pining for them i do think that is something that the adaptations of persuasion really have to accomplish compared to other austin films like we have to really be able to see whoever is playing frederick wentworth that he is the bee's knees like he is someone to pine after and to risk your family's disapproval and your cousin's marriage proposal for your security a weird thing to say but you know that was a part of persuasion but we really have to be able to see that in the actors now the 2007 version of persuasion with sally hawkins and rupert penry jones i know a lot of people say that one has a weird kiss in it and things and i mean it it kind of does but you can believe that she has pined for this man for seven years based on that performance sally hawkins is an incredible actress anyway so she's done happy go lucky the shape of water and maiden dagenham is it dagenham Something, yeah, something Dagnum. like that. That sounds right. I, I'm glad that they grabbed her in Persuasion before she got big because she's just an awesome Anne, Elli- Anne Elliot. She, wait, 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 wait. The main character from Shape of Water? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I really like she, her. She plays Anne Elliot. And I think she she fits in Anne Elliot so well. So I, I really, can see that. I really love this adaptation. It's one of my favorite ones. So you do have to pick the right the right people. And I, I think I think he you know, was the right person for the role. And so was she, you know, for, for modern adaptation, I just wasn't convinced that they had really been thinking about each other all this time and that she hadn't moved on or anything like that. So also Kieran Hines was a great Wentworth in the 1995 version. I forgot about that. That's an, uh, that's also another version I, I really enjoy. Oh yeah. He's in that new show that we started watching, uh, the terror as one of the, 
the naval officers. He's the captain of one of the ships. Yeah, that's him. Good spotting. He's also in Game of Thrones. Oh, it's that been, character. It's been so long. He's the king beyond the wall, right? I don't remember. Yeah, I don't know. he's he's one of the wildlings. Is he? Oh, you're right. Yes, he is. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, he's one. He's one of those actors that a hundred percent he gets lost in the role. And but I I think that's for a lot of actors. I've heard that's the highest compliment. Where it's like, oh, it's not Tom Cruise. Like in a in a movie, it's. We don't remember the name of the actor because their their performance is so good, and he's one of those people. That's that's what I feel like earlier with uh, Moaning Myrtle. Yes, with Shirley Henderson. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sure. I already forgot her name. Her performances are always so good. She's a fantastic actress. Yeah. So that that's the way I feel about him. Um, but I I think he he suits the Navy for some reason. Like the the Navy outfits suit him. I can see him really as like a naval officer he he looks like somebody that looks like he knows how to navigate the sea he makes a good sea captain i do think that this is another aspect of of what this adaptation is missing it's very much in the corporate world i think there's so much about persuasion and wentworth as a character that is connected to the navy and him going off to grow his military career and his friends all being in the navy even though persuasion obviously is all on land um but there's that naval aspect that i think could have been fun to carry over in a in a modern adaptation i guess it's just with a limited budget something like corporate world is probably easier to to shoot yeah i mean it would have been it would have been a very different film if they'd made the modern adaptation still have the navy aspect to it yeah. though. because as soon as you add the navy character especially if you know he's embroiled in it still it becomes like a military film. Yeah. If you're because, trying to get it really yeah, right. You know? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I will say for this, I'm not sure why it had to be a rom-com. I'm not against it necessarily, and I thought it was really fun for what it was, and I didn't didn't mind it, but there is so much about persuasion that is about lost love and persuasion. You don't say. And having to grapple with where you stand in society as you get older and where you stand with somebody that you've got a history with. And it just feels like it's got a different tone than a rom-com. Like I would never say like, oh, I think persuasion would make a good rom-com because it's not. I feel less like I connect with the story because it doesn't take itself so seriously. I am surprised they went this route just because there's so many good like indie romances that do take themselves seriously and that are like really critically acclaimed and i feel like a story like persuasion they could have done something so powerful with a story of lost love in the modern era and instead chose to do a rom-com and don't get me wrong it was fun um but i feel like with persuasion and maybe even kind of mansfield park they're just more serious than say like emma and and northanger abbey so i just feel like a modern adaptation of persuasion would have been a bit more serious even if it just did like what the big sick did where it's ser a serious subject matter but with some strong comedic moments it, it would have fit better with persuasion i think i'm just surprised they didn't consider a more serious tone but maybe they thought a rom-com would have attracted a broader audience um no i mean arguably no a rom-com has a narrower audience because rom-coms are for women and for boyfriends who get dragged to the cinema let's be fair that no is sexist no think about it from the marketer's point of view a rom-com is always 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 targeted at women and couples who are going for dates to the cinema right yeah probably 
I Whereas guess. something like, you know, the big sick, that was kind of, that was more marketed at the fans of the comedians. Maybe. I, I don't know. I think this was his like debut movie, I think, The Big Sick. I know, I know. But he already had a platform with that film. What's his name again? Sorry. Was it Kamal? Kamil Nunjani. Nunjani. Okay. Yeah. So he, he already had a massive platform. So when, when, you've, when you take something like this, I think you're narrowing the audience by making it just a rom-com as opposed to making it more serious. Interesting. Because there, it's easier to grab a wider, even an older audience with a serious film if it's got romance in it, but it's got a serious side too. Maybe. So, so for example, if, if we talk about something like Once or About Time, which were uh, romances, I mean, in some ways you could call them rom-coms. I would kind of argue that they're not rom-coms though. They're, they're, yeah. they're more romances that have comedic moments. Um, they're, they're both low budget as well. And the reason that they kind of did better critically is because they have some tragedy to balance out the comedy. Yeah, maybe. So, you know, and, and I think that balance is what makes it have the broader audience. Do you know what I mean? Perhaps. I mean, I'm not actually a marketer of, of films either, so maybe... I can see I can see that perspective. I just don't know if that's what these particular filmmakers were thinking. I don't know. I don't know. I, mean, I can see it. On the other hand, a low-budget rom-com is also supremely easy to film, right? Because it's just comedy. It's light-hearted. It's fun. It doesn't matter if you don't have the perfect chemistry between two characters because it doesn't matter. It's light. It's breezy. Just you. you yeah, that's it. true. So maybe maybe it was kind of something easier to be able to make and get out there. A hundred percent. Because if you needed two very strong characters with like super good chemistry and stuff, maybe you'd have to pay more. Like I and I, I don't. Oh, no, yeah. I'm not trying to be mean to to the actors that were in this, but. It's easier to to write something that's a bit lighter and the characters not be as strong, maybe. I mean, you don't... So when we say low budget, you don't have to assume that the actors are going to be bad. They're, they're not always bad. And we're not saying that these actors are bad or anything. But it's just... It's the, the way that you approach the film changes depending on the genre and things. Because, you know, with, with Wants... Um, which is a uh, it's set in Ireland, I believe. I'm not sure. I've not seen it. I thought you had. I have not. I thought we watched it in class together. You watched it with your other girlfriend because it wasn't with me. I remember Joe and Ian being there. Well, I was not there, so. Did you not take screenwriting? In I did take take screenwriting, but I obviously wasn't the person that saw that movie with you. I saw it with me boys, so I don't know what you're Here thinking. Here we go. Any? No, no. So anyway. It's it's set in Ireland, I believe, um, with an immigrant. I I think the character may have been Romanian, and um, a, the main character is singer songwriter. Then the love interest is the Romanian immigrant, and so anyway, it has a sense of of tragedy because you know it's got a sense of realism. And I was saying earlier, you've you've got a character and you've got dialogue in a low budget script right all stories need conflict to survive and it's why love interests never actually like love each other straight away conflict drives stories and no romance film would ever be they met they fall in love and they were married for the rest of their life yeah because it'd be boring you have to have something exactly 
So you need that conflict. And to get it easily in a film like this, you can have like, you know, disease, death or accidents, hardship of some form, homelessness or something like that. Um, basically any kind of tragedy. So in something like Once, and I'm not going to really spoil it or anything or About Time, you've got, you know, like an immigrant and you've got a singer-songwriter who is struggling to pay rent and the bills and stuff because singer-songwriter on the streets of Dublin, I believe, you know, not making a ton of money busking on the streets. Yeah. Um. So whilst those films have got romance in them and they've got comedy in them, like they're moments and it's not yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. They were much more realistic because they had those down-to-earth moments. Um, and we all know that real life has its ups and its downs. So if your film is all ups and the only downs are like, oh my gosh, he totally just looked at me funny. I can't believe he did that. Then it's not really realistic. And when I say realistic, I don't mean literally. Movie realistic is not the same as real life realistic. There's a shared understanding amongst all film viewers of what realistic means. We don't watch someone have a poo. But Gosh. we know Thank that you. using darker and more neutral color palettes, for example, with some down-to-earth elements makes for realism. Not being able to pay your rent is realism, for example. Yeah, that makes sense. So if if they'd wanted to have a slightly broader audience for modern persuasion, I would argue that the script needed some more down-to-earth elements to kind yeah. of make it a slightly more serious script and therefore serious film, tone down some of that bright cinematography. Yeah, it was very bright. Yeah, which, you know, it's fine. There's nothing wrong with a bright film because, like, you know, Emma was bright. Yeah. So, yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. But, again, to widen the audience, make it a little bit more, have the breadth rather than just all in one column. I think the other thing I would say is a criticism is how the younger millennial characters are written. Yeah, all those two. Yeah. yeah. The way they interact and some of the texting lingo that they speak, it seems so cliche to me. Like, I know people in different generations speak differently. I use like a million times and I don't mean to, um, but it it seems like whoever wrote this wrote the Musgraves girls as almost like airheads because there's so much cheesy lingo that they speak. I know that some millennials can speak like this, I'm sure, but I also feel like, or at least I hope, that people know how to act professionally, like even in their 20s. There are loads of lawyers and doctors and people in marketing and teaching that all have professional lives in their 20s and they don't behave like this. I feel like the references that we get from society and representations of people our age in their 20s and sometimes even in their 30s all talk like they're teenagers on TikTok because that is who primarily is putting out content. But if like people really behave that way in their jobs, would they still have them? I just feel like it makes them feel fake and more like teenagers than adults. I also think it makes it a bit more creepy for Owen, aka Wentworth, to be interested in one of these girls, women, excuse me. Like in Persuasion, it was more accepted in society for men to consider girls as young as 15, which is totally crazy now. But even in Persuasion, ultimately Wentworth picks Anne because she doesn't act like a teenage girl. To have Owen be interested in someone who acts so immature in a more modern era does come off a bit weird to me. Like, what does that say about you, in my opinion, if you even entertain someone who acts like a texting teenager? If I were Rin, then for me, that would totally put me off him. I've never been the type of person 
who would go after guys like that. I'm not saying we can't all be immature and up on the lingo or anything like that. I'm not trying to shame. I have crazy fun moments with my girlfriends too. But I just feel like for me, I would assume he was into a different type of woman and that we weren't compatible if he was even entertaining a relationship with someone like that. Like that being said, I have an incredibly short dating history but there are plenty of people who who make all sorts of dating mistakes and date the wrong kinds of people before they meet the one so maybe Ren doesn't hold that against him and clearly in the end she doesn't I don't know how do how do you see something like this from a guy's perspective it's I know that there are guys out there that really want a girl that kind of a woman who hangs on every word and acts like he's the best thing since sliced bread and all that kind of stuff and younger women tend to do that for guys, I guess. I mean, it's not exactly my cup of tea, so I haven't ever sought out that kind of attention either. I just know that it's... That's the impression that you get, anyway, is that some guys really like that, and so they kind of go after it, and then yeah. girls, uh, women... I say girls because it's kind of like... It's what I remember from, like, kind of college. Yeah. Um, you know, 16 to 18 year old so that's why i keep saying that but there's a certain way of acting around guys and you see it in films a lot where it's like you're so funny kind of thing when it's like it's all fake and it's just it's it's all to like i don't know it it makes makes the guy feel more mature and powerful good about himself i don't know yeah maybe so i think like the worrying thing about that sort of thing the like hanging off every word you say type thing is that in a lot of these examples in like films and tv um and i'm sure in real life um it's not that these women are kind of like airheads texting all the time it's the fact that they are dumbing themselves down and it you see it a lot it happens it, mean girls is a is a big example of that and mean girls she keeps wanting the guy to give her math lessons um so that she can get close to him even right. though she knows way yeah. more than him about math but it's like oh i don't know how this works help me i don't even know how this question what this question means but really she does and she knows more than he does but it's like it's this way to attract him type thing probably from the fact that you know there are some people out there who've kind of told young girls like hey don't be too smart that he won't like you and that kind of thing it's intimidating yeah it's intimidating um so yeah i don't know i mean it doesn't really make a lot of sense to me but yeah i mean i agree you've got to make some dating mistakes otherwise you don't really know what you have when yeah you find it like i don't want to hold this too much against a, a guy like this i guess for me i would just be like i i always got a lot of anxiety if i was in like a group of people and there was people that were like hyping up other people and being like oh my gosh you're so amazing you're so cool i just i just was kind of the type that would just give up like if i saw another girl that was like really giving a lot of attention to a guy that i liked i would just be like i'm I'm going to give up because I'm like, I we're two different types of people. And also like, it's just not worth the effort. I was a very like lazy. I mean, that's dater in that I didn't date. So, I mean, that's, that's definitely funny because for me, whenever I'm in that, or whenever I've been in that kind of situation in the past, it's more secondhand embarrassment for whoever's making a fool of themselves that Mm. I just don't want to be in that situation. That too, (laughs) too, you know, (laughs) I think all in all, this was a fun adaptation though. I think for a low-budget rom-com, it wasn't badly done. I know some of the reviews were harsh, but we enjoyed it. We had a fun Saturday night, pops and popcorn. It even had a few lines straight from the book, which I always think is fun. I love when they do that sort of thing. 
I really love whenever an adaptation of Austin um, or, you know, a, a Bronte adaptation, the screenwriter kind of nods straight to the author and they put straight lines in there because if they're good lines, why not put them in there? Why not? So I love that sort of thing. The final letter writing scene that Persuasion is famous for, it was funny because they put it in a text and said, so 21st century. Putting your feelings down in text instead of doing it in person, uh, but whatever gets the job done. I think it was a fun story for what it was. I would just like to see an adaptation of Persuasion that's perhaps a bit more serious. One of the one of the main things that I enjoyed from the film were the, the characters and some of the kind of the interactions and uh, things like that. Like I said, I don't really know how they compare to the book or anything like that. So I don't know if any of them were original or if they were all like kind of templated from from Persuasion itself. But no, I thought the characters were kind of fun and they did use them, them quite well. I would like a version that's a bit more serious too. I think it would just be interesting to kind of see. I, I kind of always feel this way. I don't I don't always enjoy things that take source material to, like as if it's a joke kind of thing or Okay. Do you know what I mean? I, I like serious adaptations of stuff. Not depends on what mood I'm in. Yeah, not I don't necessarily mean that it, it can't have comedy, but I just mean that it takes the source material seriously. Yeah. And not all modern adaptations are bad, though, right? Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet is famous as a good modern adaptation of Shakespeare, right? Like, it's it's serious and kind of, like, darker. The and, one with Claire Danes and uh, DiCaprio. Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. I haven't seen that. You haven't seen it? it? I've heard it's oh, good. Oh, wow. So, I mean, that was such a good adaptation that we watched it in English class for GCSE. Oh, cool. That is a good modern adaptation because it's very stylized. Yeah. And I think Baz Luhrmann does a lot of stylized things anyway. Yeah, it kind of took the parts of the play that were, you know, iconic and kind of kept them in a way, um, but then made it modern. I think that's the best way to respect an original source. Yeah, I think I think he turned it into gangs into New, in New York instead of clans, families in it, Italy. Okay. It can be done. Yeah, it can. The exciting thing is, is that won't have to complain too long about this serious adaptation of Persuasion because there is one that is coming out. I don't think it'll be this year because they haven't even started filming it yet. I've mentioned it on the podcast before because I'm just really excited and curious about it, but it's been 10 years since the last adaptation. And like I said, it was on the BBC and not like kind of a proper film. So I'm really excited to see what they'll do with a big budget version of Persuasion. So it will be starring Sarah Snook and Joel Fry, two actors that I've not really heard before. Um, but I have heard Sarah is great in Succession. I've also not seen that, but apparently people love that show. Joel Fry was in Game of Thrones as a uh, nobleman and marine. I've not seen him in anything else other than that. I, I do think that this could do for him what it's done for Johnny Flynn and Emma and then honestly uh reggae John Page like I I think it's really bolstered these guys careers and kind of brought them up to stardom so and if we look back on a lot of period dramas it seemed to do that especially for the men for whatever reason so the big the biggest example obviously is Colin Firth Pride and Prejudice was huge for him um, and kind of a breakout role and it's now turned him into a legend uh, it also helped Hugh Grant and Sense and Sensibility some other examples are uh, Poldark for Aiden Turner and Horatio Hornblower for Yoan Yoan Griffith Griffith I know that it can also, you know, launch women's careers. We've talked about that with Keira Knightley and Anya Taylor-Joy, Carrie Mulligan. So really, 
something like this is a big deal because sometimes period dramas aren't taken as seriously as other films, and yet it can really launch people's career. I mean, it's also because all of those actors, I think, are British. Oh, oh, really? Well, period drama will always want British accents. Well, not my accent, but the one that the world thinks is the British accent. You know, oh, you, yes. you know, you know, the one that talks a little bit like this. Oh, nice, dear. Yes, shall we have a cup of tea? Oh, yes, I'll get out the biscuits. <laughs> she'll get out the biscuits. That was actually pretty funny. Thank you. Um, and true story, I met one of Kayla's family members and she told me that I didn't have a proper British accent. Um, well, but... you don't You don't have a proper British accent. No, well, no, no. I mean, like, she, she literally, <laughs> she, she took my hand and she said, hello, nice to meet you. And she said, say something and i said hiya i'm jordan nice to meet you and she said you're not british (laughs) (laughs) she looked at kayla and looked back at me and went where's the accent well it's right here um so i imagine that a lot of americans think when they hear my accent that you know that it's i'm not the stereotypical brit yeah um i'm not sure that anybody that sounds like me has ever been on a film that americans would have necessarily seen oh yeah well maybe not in your exact region but i mean that's what i'm saying like i don't think anybody from the northeast has been in a big like film that's gone over to the states and made a huge impact. I'm trying to think. I think you're. I mean, Yorkshire for sure. That's Americans not have heard, the same, though. It's not the same. We're not going to get into this discussion. It's very similar, but it's not the same. You're right. It isn't. I doubt most. I doubt that most Americans could even pick up a Geordie accent unless they've watched Geordie Shaw for whatever reason. I Cheryl don't... Cole, for example. For, oh, for yeah. anybody who's listened, Cheryl Cole from um, Britain's Got Talent and yeah. uh, Girls Aloud. And... Well, I to be honest with you, yeah, her specific accent, Americans aren't really exposed to that very much. And if I think of any, after this episode, we can talk about it the next one, but I, I think you're right. I don't think in your specific area there's a lot of examples. So Americans and, just aren't used to hearing it. But no, I mean, the problem is a lot of these films and adaptations and things that we're talking about are obviously they're set in the past so they want that rp accent received pronunciation it's called um or the queen's english until fairly recently within the past decade or two regional accents were kind of barred from tv Mm. and they would not hire somebody with a regional accent to go on on bbc to do the news until recently like these days, when, when you watch the news on, on the telly at night, you're going to get your regional news first and then you'll get the national news. Yeah. And regional news studios are much better now at hiring regional accents for the places that are going to be listening to that news. But it never used to happen. And so I'm not surprised that most regional accents haven't done the transatlantic journey yet. I think it's, I think it's definitely starting to. Um, I read an article um, where they interviewed... Anna Maxwell Martin, you won't know sh- who she is. But you'll know if you've probably seen her. She's possibly from the Northeast, I think. And she talks about being typecast all the time and how hard it was to break out of that and how she went through a long period of years where they're like, oh, you're playing this woman from the Northeast. You're you're playing this type of, you're playing a lunch lady. You're, you're playing an impoverished worker, yeah. you know? And she was like, there was just a lot of roles that I wasn't put in as a main character or as someone who would be considered the lawyer in the show or whatever simply because of my accent and so i do think that's starting to change but it has been a problem and especially in the north you know we've talked about this a little bit but it's it's kind of like the southern accent yeah you know but at the same time you can still get southern characters who are very intelligent sometimes they intentionally write in subplots about people thinking that they're 
not intelligent and yeah. stuff like that. However, I don't exactly sound like Colin Firth or Hugh Grant, do I? So I would never, ever, ever be given the lead in a American romance film. I wouldn't even be given that in Modern Persuasion. There was that British guy. Oh, his accent was horrible. Yeah, it was. But I would never be given that role because I don't sound posh enough. Well, I love you. Well, thank you. I love you. You don't need to be an actor in a romance. It's okay. It's it's all right. I I don't look like I'd be an actor in a romance either, do I? (laughs) Neither one of us do. But that's okay. That's why we have a podcast where nobody can see us. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you so much for joining us. Uh, for our first non-Bridgerton episode. We're glad that you stuck around with us. We're really enjoying the podcast growing and people listening. Next up, we're going to have some interviews and some of Bridgerton's cliches and realities of the Regency period. And we're getting it around to Sanditon coming up. We keep talking about how there's certain aspects in history that we're just not experts in. So it'll be awesome to be able to talk to some people who know what they're talking about um, for some of this. So... Definitely. As always, if you've enjoyed the podcast, we would really appreciate a review, particularly on Apple Podcasts, and that'll help us keep doing what we're doing. Kind of related to that, so some quick Bridgerton news. It is official that the show has now been renewed for season three and four. I don't know why it took so long because season two, we waited forever and we were all like biting our nails, but it's really excited. So we're hoping to keep on recapping. So please do subscribe, join the Facebook group, leave a comment or a review. It means a lot to us and we can hope hopefully keep doing this podcast for as long as Bridgerton is on. Absolutely. And thank you, dear listener, for tuning into this episode of Regency Rumors. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye. Should we talk like this for the rest of the evening? Do you want to go make me a cup of tea, my dear? No. Why not? (laughs) I I was contemplating trying to do an American accent. um, I'd be like, get me some coffee. (laughs) Goodbye. Goodbye.